Welcome to the conversation. I'm Anna Kasparian, and I'm super excited for the conversation that's about to take place with Darcy Lockman. She is the author of All the Rage, Mothers, Fathers, and the Myth of Equal Partnership. So please check out her book. Darcy, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Anna. You know, the sound is going in and out. Oh, I apologize for that. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Now I can hear you. Yeah, thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us and for having this conversation. So, the premise of your book is that, you know, there's this notion that society has really progressed toward a more egalitarian situation where men and women split the responsibilities among one another. But your research and your findings have found something a little different. So can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, these days we go into parenting knowing that men do so much more than they used to and that fathers have become so involved with their kids. And that's not untrue, but that actually got conflated with the idea of who was doing most of the work. And the research shows that the amount of work that fathers started doing when mothers were more commonly in the workforce got up to about 35% in the year 2000. And it's actually held steady ever since. So in dual earner couples, mothers remain responsible for about 65% of the childcare responsibility. And there's there's like a million metrics that all support that. And so when you talk about that 35% number, are you referring to the nature of these relationships on average? Or is that when it comes to the, you know, the best relationships, the most egalitarian relationships? No, it's an average when researchers, including the Bureau of Labor Statistics, where they look at time use diaries, look at how much work men are doing in terms of child care in a dual or household versus women, it's about 35, 65. And I talked to sociologists who actually say, you know, that's looking at the population overall. And when you compare husbands to their own wives, as opposed to men to women, some sociologists told me that the data is even actually worse in terms of uh, equality. So why do you think it is that the number leveled off in the year 2000? Is there something happening systemically that is putting the majority of the burden on women? It's a really good question, and there's obviously a lot that goes into it. But women are, you know, girls and boys are really raised quite differently. Girls to think about the needs of others quite a bit, and boys to think more about their own agency. So when you wind up as an adult in a heterosexual relationship, you kind of go into it coming from these two different places. So one of the really interesting studies I found look at how people felt about the division of labor in their homes. So research researchers collected time use diaries, and they didn't tell the couples what they found. So they they knew the breakdown, what percentages each member of the couple was doing, but the couples were blind to um, to the to the numbers. And then they went back to the couples and they said, how do you feel about the division of labor in your home? And what they really surprisingly found was that men who were doing about 35% of the work felt the greatest feelings of fairness in their homes. But maybe even more surprising was that the women who were doing about 65% also reported the greatest feelings of fairness. So it seems like on an unconscious level, men and women both sort of believe that women should be doing about two thirds. I want to talk a little bit about social conditioning. And I think that's what you're alluding to there because we consume so many messages through mass media, messages that 
indicate the way women are ex expected to behave in the household, expected to behave in, in the, the workforce, and how men are supposed to behave. And so I can speak from personal experience, and I don't have children, but I'm just thinking about it in the context of household labor. Whenever my husband does any small chore, in fact, just over the weekend, I posted a, a photo on social media saying, I love it when my husband takes the trash out, it turns me on. Now, it's a small chore, but I feel so grateful and so lucky that I have a partner who's willing to do that. Um, and I think that's part of my social conditioning, right? Part of, hey, don't complain, be grateful. You have a husband who's willing to do more than just go to work and come home. Is there a way to mitigate that? Well, I think one way is to really look at it. A lot of the women who I interviewed, and I interviewed about 50 mothers for the book who were frustrated with this dynamic in their marriage, they would talk about being angry about the situation they found themselves in. And then they would kind of walk it back a little saying, well, I'm really lucky that he does anything at all. Um, and if we really listen to ourselves, is that is that how we wanna be living? But I hear you, and I think that a lot of women can identify with saying, well, I know men used to do really nothing at home. They used to come home and expect a cigar and a drink. But I think walking back that anger ultimately really gets in the way of equal partnership and leaves both partners kind of at odds around this in subtle ways that don't do anything good for a relationship. One other thing that I noticed was that social conditioning leads others to perceive men and women differently when it comes to child rearing. So I'll give the example of let's say a mother who takes her child to the park. If the mother is doing everything right, no one gives her credit, no one gives her props, no one says, "Oh, look at that mom spending quality time with her children." But and I'm guilty of this. If I see a father who's out with his child and he's being affectionate and loving, you have all these like warm and fuzzy feelings. And yeah. so, you know, it, it, it's incredible because on one hand, it seems as though women don't really get applauded for the incredibly difficult job of raising children. But if men do the bare minimum, and look, I, I'm not trying to downplay or minimize it. I'm just talking about the type of response they get. If men do something, you know, that's something a father should do, they get a lot more credit and a lot more positive reinforcement. And that's my perspective. Am I correct in, in saying that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've all seen it. There's a blogger who I quote in the book who says, when a dad walks into our mommy and me class, we clap. Um, I was I was with a friend at the beach a few weeks ago, and she's basically alone with her three young kids all summer. And there was a dad there alone with his three young kids, and she knew him. And she said she said to him something like, "Wow, you're a hero." And she was you know being nice, but I reached over and smacked her. I was like, "Kate, stop! You're perpetuating this. Mm -hmm. You know the dad should be alone at the beach with his kids. His wife was working. She's a nurse. Um, so there are." much higher standards, obviously, for mothers than fathers. And they really kind of grew out of this anxiety in the mid-90s when mothers were suddenly, um, you know, when they, their workforce participation peaked in the mid-90s. And sociologists have a term for this. They call it intensive mothering. So as there was this increasing anxiety about what was going to happen to the kids now that all the mothers were at work, the standards kind of went up at the same time, saying, well, if you're going to be out of the house, you have to do this much more. And the result of that is that full-time working mothers today spend as much time with their kids as stay-at-home moms in the 70s did.
That's fascinating. Is that is that really true? Yeah, it's really true. There's so much research that supports all this, and there's a ton of writing about intensive mothering. And of course, there's no paternal um, correlate, right? There's no such mm-hmm. thing as intensive fathering, nor should there be. Like this whole intensive mothering th- mothering thing really has to kind of like turn down a notch because women do it by giving up their own personal care, leisure time, and sleep. Yeah, you know what's fascinating is back in the day, you didn't necessarily need a dual income household to make ends meet. But you know, women wanted a little more freedom and and they fought for the right to enter the workforce and I'm extremely grateful for that. But economically this country has changed to the point where you absolutely do need a dual income household to make ends meet. And so while previously it was perceived as hey, this is a mother's choice, and so they really need to prove themselves as good mothers if they're making that choice. The same mentality exists today, even though mothers don't have a choice, even though you absolutely have to work in order to provide for your family. Yeah, you know, we have we all have this idea in our mind of the 1950s housewife, but that was actually a real cultural anomaly. There was only a very brief period in this country where privileged women didn't have to work and could get by with one income. But it was a very brief period. Women have been bringing in income to their homes in different ways for as long as families have been around. They've just always borne kind of the heavier share of the unpaid domestic labor. And that's true around the world. And it's worse in the third world. I think in India, I believe women do 90% of the unpaid domestic labor. You know, in the US it's more like 65%, but that's still a lot of hours when you add, when you add it up over time. So I do want to ask a little bit about the biological differences between men and women because those differences do exist and from and I might be wrong about this and if I am please correct me. Women tend to be a little more nurturing, right? They they tend to be nurturing when it comes to child rearing. And so I think about it in the context of my friends and family members and how women without even kind of like questioning it just take on the majority of the child rearing. And so I'm wondering if those biological differences are the drivers for why women take on more with child rearing. Yeah, you know, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing that women can do that men can't in terms of parenting is obviously gestation and lactation. Parenting skills are learned. They're not innate for males and females both. And in fact, just as women are neuroendocrinologically primed to become mothers, so are men. And I didn't know this before I started doing research for this book. I don't know how I didn't know this, but men's hormones change during their partner's pregnancy. So when men spend time in intimate contact with a pregnant partner, the same hormones rise in them as rise in women. So the males of our species are also primed to do this. And it's really not the nurturing per se that women take on more in modern day homes. It really is the work, the keeping track of the homework folder, the remembering to buy diapers and schedule pediatrician appointments. So there's nothing biological about the differences in the work that mothers and fathers are doing once their kids are weaned. In fact, nothing at all. Mm -hmm. What does make a difference is that the biology kind of snowballs because when mothers are home more, as they usually are in the early part of child rearing, they do get more experience with all the things that go into raising their kids and what their kids need. So that experience gap becomes the the challenge. It's not the biological part. 
So there are ongoing culture wars in America. Now there are culture wars when it comes to things like reproductive rights. And there are certainly culture wars when it comes to the way men are expected to behave in order to appear masculine. So you have the feminist movement, and of course you have various waves of the feminist movement. And the, the individuals who usually disagree with those movements are on the right. And they'll argue that, look, feminism leads to the pussification of men. They're not masculine anymore, they're not manly men. And I think that messaging really does either consciously or subconsciously resonate with a lot of guys. And I'm curious if any of your research found that to be part of the reason why you know men's involvement in child rearing leveled off in, in 2000. Is there any role of that type of messaging? I think that men um, have been reluctant to take on more work. And maybe that's why I, there was an article in Ms. Magazine and its inaugural issue um, where one of the men quoted saying, "You know, I, I'm for women's lib and equal pay and all that, but women's liberation doesn't mean I have to wash dishes, does it? You know, yes, and it, it, it was kind of this, <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. It, it actually very much does. So, I, you know, there may be men whose masculinity is threatened by doing that stuff. I interviewed a woman in Oklahoma who told me, you know, her husband doesn't want his friends to see him putting away laundry. I think the quote was, "They'll say they'll think he gave his pride to his woman." Um, so I think there are probably areas in in the country where that is more. Um, more acute than others. But interestingly, there's actually research that shows that couples who live in the most egalitarian ways are the only ones who've shown an increase in sexual frequency mm. over the last couple decades when sexual intimacy and in marriage has actually declined worldwide. Oh, absolutely. So, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. It's, it's hot when you have a partner who's there for you, who helps you. And let's talk a little well, bit about you're, you're less tired, right? If you're mm -hmm. not doing it all. Well, that that of course there's you know the physical exhaustion, but <laughs> yes. when you have a if when you really feel like you have a partner, someone who has your back, someone who's helping you with, you know, just the challenges of life, it's you're attracted to that person. Uh, we all know that uh, female attraction isn't simply physical. There's a there's an emotional component of it, and if you're mentally drained because all the work or the majority of the work yeah. is you know on you then you're not really going to be interested in any type of sexual activity or intimacy yeah. yeah yeah and conflict conflict goes up in couples after children are born this is true across the board and a lot of it is about division of labor and conflict is probably not a very good aphrodisiac so i want to talk about that a little more because i feel as though there would there would definitely be bubbling resentment for a woman who's raising yeah. her kids, going to work, cooking, cleaning. It's just endless. There's no break. There's no time for her. So, do you have? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, well, like hence the title of the book. It's called All the Rage for a Reason. Mm -hmm. The women who I spoke with were really angry about this dynamic in their marriage and really frustrated because despite their best efforts, they hadn't been able to get through to their husbands very effectively. Um, there was a, a cycle that people talked about where they would bring it up and, and either would get 
couple weeks and then they would kind of go back to the status quo. So it's it's not something that um, that's a minor issue for women and men don't always realize it. I interviewed also the husbands of a lot of the women that I spoke with. And while they were very generous with their time, it wasn't a subject that really inspired much um, much thought or interest for them, you know, again, despite the, their politeness and willingness to chat. So women have a lot to say about it and men are a little bit unaware. Right, so I, I love that you mentioned that because I think that one of the biggest issues is communication. And social conditioning has a lot to do with this as well because women have been made to think that if they ask for help, if they talk to their partners and say, I can't take this on by myself, can you please do this, can you please do that? Well, then they're just nagging. They're the annoying wife and it could lead to the man straying and maybe looking for affection elsewhere. I mean, I've seen this type of conversation take place so many times. And how do women very clearly communicate to their partners that they need help? without upsetting their partners. The couples who were managing this most effectively from the people that I interviewed really agreed early on or at least at some point to make a joint commitment to both of them feeling good about the division of labor in their homes. So I think you really have to agree with your partner that you're on the same page around this before you can sit down to iron out the particulars. Because once you've made it a team goal, it's a lot easier to approach than um, say than kind of being angry and saying, well, you're not doing this, right? Then you're not on the same page. So you, you the couples that, that again, were um, had arrived at some like more peaceable division in their partnership had agreed that this was a primary objective for them in their marriages. And it really does take that much attention. Couples who said, there's a quote from a couple that always sticks with me. They said, we mostly just wanted to be equals. And it really does take that kind of commitment. Otherwise the gender stuff sort of takes over and things default to the woman. Because again, of the way that we're raised and societal expectations around parenting and who's gonna do more. Do you feel that these types of conversations take place enough in the mainstream when it comes to making decisions about whether or not a couple should have children? I feel like in mass media, it's just assumed that every couple should have children. But there's very little discussion about the realities of the division of labor. Yeah, it's funny because since the book came out, I've heard from women who have said to me, this is why I chose not to have kids. And, you know, I think that is so practical and pragmatic. It also makes me really sad. I mean, I know for me personally, my children are like my greatest joy and whatever hardship this has caused in my marriage, while while it's been difficult, it's still been worth it. You know, no relationships are easy. But I do think there is something about women saying, look, this is the reality of life today. And I'm gonna adjust to that reality and live through it by deciding not to experience this part, this part of life. This is a compromise I'm willing to make. So, you know, and I think they're actually really um realistic uh, and they know what they want and they they live that way and I, I there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Is there anything that can be done on a government level to help couples with this very difficult uh, you know endeavor in their lives? Yeah. Raising kids is so difficult and I feel yeah. like there could be support coming from a governmental level. There are some interesting things going on in Japan. You probably know that the um, birth rate has fallen so low in Japan that there aren't enough 
young working people to support an aging population. So there's real concern about like the baby bust there. So Shinzo Abe has made father involvement one of the primary objectives of his administration. And they have a goal to get like the number of hours fathers are putting in at home up to, I can't remember what the numbers are by 2020. So, and they, and they have like, um, well, there are a bunch of government initiatives there that are kind of interesting. Um, one of the, one of the funny things that really stuck with me when I read Bringing Up Bebe by Pamela Druckerman was she observes that fathers in France do as little as fathers in the US, but French mothers seem a lot less angry about it. Mm -hmm. And she points out that this is because there's um, government subsidized daycare from the time kids are like six months old in France. That's really good. So while there's less uh, feminist rhetoric in France, there is more support for working mothers. So there is, um, I guess there the idea is the state takes some of the responsibility off the father, which which is great. I'm all for universal childcare and all that stuff. But I think that fathers stepping up their involvement is something that needs to happen in homes regardless of how much outside the wonderful now we have mothers. such and then they're less angry at fathers who are doing less yeah so we have wonderful audience members. Uh, the majority of our audience actually consists of men. And I know they're probably wondering, well, what can I do to be proactive? And so yeah. uh, what advice would you give uh, our male audience members who actually do wanna do the right thing? Yeah, you know, I would really suggest they read my book. Um, I think that the book, and I've been told that it kind of um, makes it a more neutral issue for couples. It takes responsibility away from both of them. And you could really see how societally um, we, we fall into this place where it's very difficult. And so again, the, it's not anyone's fault. We just have to start paying attention. But I've certainly had men contact me after the book and some pieces that I've written have come out to say, you know, this is totally me. Everyone's always telling me what a great dad I am, but I know I don't do nearly as much as my wife and I want to be on top of this. So I think men, a lot of men are actually on board with um, kind of attacking this in the same way that men are really receptive to listening to the Me Too movement and want to be allies of women. So, you know, again, you read the book, you have a really good understanding of what goes into all this, um, and you're able to approach your wife and say, hey, is this going on for us? I think we should talk about it. Uh, I love it. And one of the pieces you wrote was titled, uh, What Good Dads Get Away With? Division of labor in the home is one of the most important equity issues of our time. Yet at this rate, it will be another 75 years before men do half the work. Darcy Lockman, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, audience members, please check out her book, All the Rage. Uh, it was a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Thank you again. Oh, Thank you, Anna, for having me on. All right, uh, the post game show is next for our members. We'll see you soon.